Catalyst, a person or thing that precipitates an event and triggers a vast increase in the rate of progress. Over the last 10 years, Spokane, Washington and the Inland Empire have experienced a rate of growth that has never occurred in the past. As a native growing up in a family of developers, I have always been intrigued by our city and the people who are responsible for our growth. Up until now, there has never been a voice of progress in development. Catalyst. This is the place where you will meet all the players responsible for the growth and development of our beautiful cities and this region. This is not just another local podcast. This is The Catalyst. And I'm your host, Bruce Van Cott. Welcome to Spokane. This is The Catalyst Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Van Cott, and this is episode six. We have Chad White with the Chad White Hospitality Group. And Matt Goodwin with the Goodwin Group here today. We've got a great podcast, great show for you guys today. Um, both these guys are experts in their field here in the restaurant and hospitality, bar, brewing businesses. Um, and today we're going to dive into you know the backgrounds of these guys and uh, really you know what does it take to uh, be successful in the hospitality business. Um, so how are you guys doing today? Doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I'm How are you doing, you Bruce? I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great. We got BrickQuest, uh, the beer here. So our, our new sponsor, right? I appreciate the Ooh. plug. We'll talk about that after the show. Okay. Okay. Awesome. That, there's a financial. Uh, we'll figure, we'll figure that out. We got a, <laughs> we got, we got, we got a, another brewery here with TT's. We didn't have the beer today, unfortunately. So we've got some, uh, some I whiskey we're beard. drinking. The beard instead of the beer. The I beard got it wrong. The, beard. the memo is off. Damn autocorrect we'll on that text we'll, message. We'll talk right? about my listening skills later. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's start with you, Chad. Let's uh, tell us a little bit about your background. So you've got you've got TT's uh, barbecue and um, brewery. Brewery. You've got High Tide Lobster Bar. Mm-hmm. You've got the uh, ceviche place it just moved right yep zona blanca zona blanca. construction currently okay and then you guys just rebranded what was zona blanca right you're doing is it meatballs over there <laughs> yeah so kind of a steel barrel a, a mixture of it right so steel barrel tap room is where zona blanca existed right okay. we were a ceviche bar in the back of a dive bar okay right? cool. so very kind of portland-esque right yeah uh, it's it's a, a new style of of dining environment um but that little 400 square foot restaurant turned into a a nationally recognized restaurant uh, in a matter of a couple years. Wow. Um, and from that, we were able to birth a restaurant group and grow our our concepts around the city. Um, and most recently, we've we've moved from Madison Street, which is where Zona Blanca was at, in the Steel Barrel, which is the meatball concept now. Okay. Um, and we've moved to Howard Street um, in the old Rocket Bakery location between oh, first nice. and second. Yeah. And so we're just we're really stoked to to continue the cool work that we've done in this city, um, providing, you know, more, uh, culturized food, um, which is exciting. Is that the, the, uh, James S black building that you guys are in? Uh, it is called the Holly Mason building. Oh, the Holly Mason building. I'm yeah. sorry. That's right. That's, uh, uh, Chris Patton and, uh, Bobby Rutz place. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You just had them on the show not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good show. So, uh, give us a little bit of your background and how you got into the restaurant business. Yeah, so I grew up here in Spokane, born and raised. Okay. Um, I joined the Navy on 9-11. I had no idea really what I was going to do in life. I, I 
was always drawn to art. My grandmother was an artist, um, but art's not exactly like doesn't a pay big the bills. Position in the navy, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, the the job that I qualified for was to be what they called back then a mess specialist, aka a cook. Um, but the cook has a, a two part job. One part is is culinary management, and the other part is barracks management. So we manage the the navy hotels, all of the officer quarters, and so on and so forth. Um, but I really fell in love with food. Um, and I think I fell in love with food because of all the art that I did as a young man with my grandmother. She was a, an acrylic painter, um, an oil painter, uh, did a lot of uh, crafts and she would build, you know, she had an urn in the, or a kiln in the garage and she would build these really rad ceramics and hand paint them and sell them. Um, and so I got to help out with a lot of that. And then my uncle was, um, you know, he restored old vehicles. And so I learned how to pinstripe and paint uh, and airbrush vehicles. So all of that kind of translated into art, right? Sure. Naturally is art. And then I became a cook and I found a way to bridge the gap between art and food. And so for me, food is art. Um, and when I, when I left the Navy uh, five years later, I took an opportunity at the Hotel Del Coronado and worked under some very talented chefs. I uh, learned a lot about um, culinary leadership, management, went into corporate hotels with uh, Hilton and Doubletree Hotels. Um, and then a couple years later, I opened uh, my first restaurant called Sea Rocket Bistro. Um, and that's really kind of where I made my mark in, in culinary arts and, and getting known. Um, I was on Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern on the oh, Travel wow. Channel. Um, I, from there opened up a couple other restaurants, um, one called craft pizza company, um, Comun kitchen and tavern, and then La Justina in Tijuana, Mexico. And so I lived across the border as well. Um, really immersing myself into the culture before going on top chef, uh, season 13, and then moving back to Spokane and opening up Zona Blanca. Nice. So how, tell, tell us a little bit about top chef. Wow. Top Chef is is a uh, – well, one, it's an honor, right? Sure. To, to even be able to make it on national television is, is a pretty cool uh, opportunity. But it is – you know, it's it's a little different than what you expect it to be, right? Um, we have celebritized chefs, um, and they are gods in a lot of us cooks' eyes. And all I wanted to do ever was to be on a TV show and own my own restaurant, right? And Absolutely. after having those things – I'm still excited about shows like that, but probably less excited about reality cooking shows because let's be honest, I think all of us figured this out, at least at some of our ages, that reality TV is not reality. A lot of it is, is there's a plan in place. Um, but it was, it, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about uh, quick thinking, creative thinking, um, and got to size myself up against arguably the, you know, 16 best chefs at the time that were picked by Bravo TV. You know, when I first watched the TV show back in, you know, 2003, 2004, I, you know, I recognized that there were people on the show that should have never been there. And our season, any single person could have won that that season. I mean, there was multiple people there with James Beard aboards working for people with Michelin stars. Um, I felt like the underdog going in there owning three restaurants at the time. Wow. So it was, it was just really, uh, a humbling experience an exciting experience. Um, but it was, it was wild. I mean, there was times where we just spent 
eight hours to 10 hours in a day being interviewed. Really? In a dark room, <laughs> you know? So it was just, it was very different. And talking about yourself uh, on camera about like what you've done good, which is a little easier, although I feel like I'm somewhat humble, than talking bad about what you've done or admitting to the fact that you just, for lack of a better word, shit the bed. Absolutely. So, so how'd you fare on the show? I think you did pretty good. Yeah. Um, I was in the top 10. Nice. Um, and uh, I, th I feel like if it wasn't for my frustration on a few things, it may have gone a little bit further, but you can't bite the hand that feeds you, if you know what I mean. Um, and I made kind of a goofy mistake of putting fancy things on a beefsteak challenge. Um, so you should see it. I mean, the best... The best episode was the episode that I got. Um, it was a redemption episode that I didn't win, but it's called The Bloodiest Battle Ever on Top Chef, and it's uh, Last Chance Kitchen. And so uh, the, the challenge that I got sent home on was th this idea of a beefsteak challenge. The beefsteak challenge means that you don't have utensils. You have to eat with your hands, and it's supposed to be like pick up a bone and you know, eat a rack of ribs or this giant like Flintstone sized piece of meat with your hands and eating mashed potatoes with your fingers and my kind of food. wearing a bib. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Yeah, like, it's like, give me a six pack of beer and, and, and let me town. eat with my hands. Yeah. Right. It's like a picnic. So, um, I made it a little bit too fancy and got sent home. Um, and then the redemption round was that they rolled this giant cart of meat out and I had to go head to head against Jason, um, who was, uh, the chef from, um, M bar in San in, in, sorry, Seattle. So we're both Washingtonians, right? Nice. I don't even know why I just said that. I feel rep, like that rep, word's been represent. banned. Uh, and I think has been banned. Jay Inslee will appreciate the use of Washington. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I apologize on behaf of everyone in Spokane. So, um, they rolled out this cart of meat and I chose the cow head, the whole cow head. And so I, you know, maybe I was a little frustrated that I was got kicked off. So I made a chili, uh, a Mexican style of chili called picadillo, uh, that had, uh, corn in it, um, and ground meat. And I made kind of this like chili, really dark, uh, rich, uh, sauce. And I served it with uh, beef cheeks, but the chili was made out of eyes, tongue and cheek. And uh, my favorite quote was, are you going to really make me eat eyes? And I was wow. like, yep, <laughs> don't kick me off. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was a great experience. And, it, and it, you know, the biggest thing is it, it paved um, the way for me to be able to go and find success on a, a much easier level. Right. So Absolutely. I, I believe wholeheartedly that my hard work has gotten me where I am at today. But uh, those doors opened and I walked through them. Absolutely. So. so did that open, you know, when you say it opened doors for you or kind of paved the way, did that help you uh, with, you know, financing and going in and, and, and meeting people to be able to partner with on, on projects or just getting your name out from a marketing standpoint or? Well, coming back to Spokane was kind of like this big thing, right? Absolutely. It's like hometown hero is Absolutely. back. He left to join the military. And now he's come back to Spokane. He was on Top Chef. The season aired the month I returned. Wow. I wasn't even Perfect in timing. Spokane for two hours and I had three reporters on my little sister's front porch trying to interview me. Wow. It was a very interesting experience. Um, but because of that, it allowed me to be able to leverage my all of a sudden instant fame 
uh, to, to get projects going. And so, you know, you've, you interviewed Bobby Brett and, and, uh, Chris Batten, and they were, you know, my first, uh, group that I've worked with, uh, in the city. And I hired Chris as, as my broker and Chris had a building, uh, the luminaria, yeah. uh, which is where Zona Great Blanc building. and Steel Barrel were at. And I told him, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to find something. And, and he showed me different properties all around town. Um, we just couldn't quite figure it out. And, and finally he just said, dude, I love your passion. You're already working harder than most people I know, just trying to get this done. Um, you know, I, I'll take the risk with you. And uh, he loaned me the money to open up Zona Blanca. And we opened up Zona Blanca on $40,000. And wow. in our first year, we did four hundred grand. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's exciting. I, I don't mean to like air my laundry out there, but just like no, hearing people that, want to hear just, that. Though. It's just a, it's, it's a great experience. And you know, part of it was just how much time and effort I worked there. You know, we only had three employees and two of them were underage girls, right. That were in high school that wanted to learn about culinary arts. Um, uh, and we just, we worked side by side. And I taught them all the experiences and, and techniques that I learned. And they had no culinary background whatsoever other than, you know, doing a pro start competition. But they had no professional experience. Um, so we were just able to work side by side. And, you know, we won uh, Best New Restaurant, Chef of the Year. We won Epicurean Delight, all these different things. All and I did this with these, these young girls that I couldn't do this before with, you know, a brigade of really talented, high paid cooks wow. um so it was it was it was perfect redemption for me after getting kicked off top chef to come out and be successful in this restaurant and then that further paved the way and i ended up, now i'm on my third project with batten and uh bobby brett uh, because they've seen the work that we've done and that's awesome all your projects seem to be uh you know art inspired you know you're a wonderful chef that's that's your background let's shift gears a little bit come over and talk to matt here so you're you come from a totally different background and your uh your business model is is a lot different than uh chad's over here tell us a little bit about your background first off you've got uh how many bars and restaurants right now uh, we have eight concepts right now. Eight concepts right now. And um, your, I love the uh, the term you use. It's the uh, five-star dive bar. And uh, does that, at this point, it kind of fits all that other than maybe the brewery, right? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, I can't make craft mac and cheese. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm the exact opposite of Chad. I was a, uh, I grew up as a front of the house bartender, front yeah. of the house manager, Um I was always the guy hosting the party and making sure everybody had a good time. Absolutely. As opposed to making sure the, uh, the product was top notch. Absolutely. Learn to make it good as it went along. But, uh, my expertise was in the customer experience. Well, and that's, what's awesome. So we got, you know, back of the house, front of the house, and we get to kind of get the aspect, you know, each aspect. The funny thing is about two, three months before COVID came, Chad and I were looking at a space to do something together. And really, if COVID wouldn't have happened, I think we could have blown the doors off of this town, but agreed eventually <laughs> yeah eventually. It's, yeah. it could still happen we're so, still young we're still young yeah. <laughs> so tell so so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the uh bar and restaurant business matt the real short hopefully the really short version <laughs> is in high school i was uh i was a square i didn't drink i didn't smoke no drugs nothing asb president kind of guy got to college and uh saw the light and that all changed very quickly yeah and um paid my way through six years of college at no degree by renting houses where I could throw the best house party, running illegal casinos in my basement, uh, 
hosting basketball tournaments where we would wager on which team was going to win and I would rig it. So I made sure that the, uh, the books were stacked in my favor Nice. and, uh, uh, went to school to be a teacher eventually and realized that wasn't for me. And a friend said, man, you need to go get a job bartending. That's what you do. So I got a job bartending at fast Eddie's in 2000. And, uh, we took a bar that was doing $20,000 a month. Within three months, we were doing $150,000 a month. Wow. 90% of it was beer, alcohol sales. So, um, realized I was, I was pretty good at throwing a party and, and hosting a party and, uh, tried to buy the bar from the owner at the time and no idea what I was doing, no clue about money or finance or even what I'd hoped to make on it other than I knew I could get a bunch of people to come through the door. Uh, so the guy I bartended with at the time named Ray Wilson and I, we uh, bought a little bar on Sprague. It was called Irv's, turned it into the pub club, super creative name, pub on one side, club on the other. And, uh, for the first year we were we were breaking records for beer sales booze sales and also breaking records on how much money was flying out the door <laughs> yeah having a lot of fun oh yeah uh i was up at 6 a.m every day still drinking until uh i'm trying to get to work the next day so wow then we opened up a live music venue called the boulevard which is where the grand hotel sits now and uh that's when i started to grow up a little bit and uh understand there's a business to this as opposed to just a party and then the uh, city evicted us for eminent domain to build the Grand Hotel. Uh, met another business partner, ex-business partner. We started Marquee Lounge, and that's when um, that's when the party became a business for me, and and uh, maybe did a lot less of this and a lot more uh, accounting and running books and making sure that the business were profitable. And uh, from there, one thing just led to another to where I am now. Well, I think I made up for your uh, you know lack of partying at the Marquee. Yeah, you helped pay, you helped pay the rent, Bruce. I know. Yeah. That was a great that was a great place. <laughs> yeah. I love the marquee. So um so what uh places do you have now? You've got the backyard, you've got press. Yeah, so a- after Marquee, I realized that um the nightclub life wasn't for me anymore. Yeah. And um personally I was gravitating. I like to hang out at pubs. I like to eat good pub food. I like I, I like a, a really great sandwich with a beer. Uh so that's kind of what, what I geared towards and um all my properties now are kind of focused on that. So we have a uh, remedy up on 38th and grand. That's my spot. That's a great spot. Okay. Um, Chef Rory's fantastic on the next to sacred heart. We have press public house, which is a cool little pub and opened a Hawaiian barbecue joint next to it called hang 10. Yeah. And uh, downtown we have a uh, Volstead act cocktail lounge, which is very hyper cocktail focused. Uh, we have brick West brewing company, which uh, awesome. is a brewery. It's a yeah. brewery. We're making great beer. And, and great beer. Uh, in, within our first year, we'll be the second largest brewery in the greater Spokane area. And uh, we've won numerous awards and very excited about that. And, and kudos goes to our brewer, Sam. He gets all the credit there. Uh, we have Backyard Public House, which has become um, kind of a staple in Spokane. It's, uh, it's, it's busy seven days a week, seven nights a week. Good pub food, trivia. Uh, it's, we get business people during the day and we get college kids at night. And then we opened up uh, Checkerboard on East Sprague, which is the oldest operating liquor license in the city of Spokane. Really? And wow. And then uh, in almost in Hilliard, we have a place called Barnwood. And uh, up there, we're trying to elevate the Hilliard experience a little bit as far as food and dining. Sure. Okay. So let's talk about brewing because you guys are both in, in brewing right now. 
We both sell beer. You both yeah. sell beer. I don't know if either one of us know how to Neither brew. Neither of you brew. No. But no. let's talk about it from a business standpoint, right? <laughs> so, Matt, on your end, you talked about your your brewer. Um, what's it you know take to put together an operation like that? Finding the brewer, uh, you know, pulling together financing, bringing the partners in. What what is it you know? Give me the the real deal on what it takes to do that. The real deal is not something I think you can really quantify first and foremost. Uh, what I mean by that is I put in a lot of work and a lot of networking around Spokane in order to um, have relationships with people that will sell my beer, that'll put my beer on tap, that will come down and support me. Chad, obviously you heard his resume and his uh, his presence in the city is huge. Sure. So people are going to seek him out. Uh, where I'm going is I think we have a leg up on, and I'm not trying to pick on the average guy, but if the average guy that works at Napa, he could make way better beer than me and uh, Chad could ever make, but people aren't going to seek it out to drink it. So not only do Chad and I both make a really great product, we have the marketing, we have the uh, wherewithal, and we have the presence in the community that people are going to relate to it, know it, and drink it. Absolutely. And building the team, right? Making sure that you're that you're finding the right person. Yeah. Um, you know, we have our brewer, Rachel Nally, is is incredible, and she's, you know, worked with Oralson and Iron Goat and and now is with us. And Travis Tosaf started the brewery itself at Steel Barrel Tap Room in the Incubator Brewery. Wow. Right? So, so we you got to try them all. So he was one of the best. Yeah, we met there. Yeah. Um, and, and I loved his work ethic and his attitude, and it was just fun and kind of carefree, um, but a really hard worker. Um, and he was a... Uh, free to lay guy. Like he'd worked there for 20 plus years wow. and he used his retirement to help us open up TTs out in the Valley. But to my point, if he tried to do that on his own, yeah, he probably wouldn't get the recognition that you guys have because he has you and your presence in this community to help push that beer. And, and, and possibly you're right. I would say it would, I fast tracked it. Yes. 100%. Right. Um, cause the, his, he's just such a good dude, man. Like, I don't know. It's like anyone who meets him is like, oh yeah, he's just a, yeah. he's a good Joe. Right. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. We've had some opportunities. Um, we've built an opportunity, should I say, um, for ourselves and, and it's the result has been very fruitful. Um, but we can't, you know, like, you know, he's mentioned his team, uh, throughout the entire time and, and, we're we can be the idea guys and we can put the work together and and we you know we have a name around town um but we still have to make good product 100 right? so yes. that's that's the i think that's the defining factor is it's not just one thing or another it's 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 the, it's the total package yeah sure but but i would say okay so you, you you're right you need the total package but when you look at say finding a brewer there's people that you know, the Napa guy that can brew beer and uh, whether it's you doing the, the barbecue at TT's, which is probably my favorite barbecue in town, or, you know, whether it's you guys, uh, you know, your chefs that you guys got up at Remedy or the, you know, partnering up with your guys down at, uh, at Watts, putting all those pieces together is very important, but it sounds like what you guys both bring to the table and tell me if I'm wrong on the most valuable level is that marketing aspect or that, that, that demand where someone says, Hey, I've, I've been to a Chad white, you know, restaurant, I've been to high tide or, you know, I've been to uh, a boiler room or, or remedy and I want to go check out what they're doing. Cause I love everything Mar else marketing for sure. That, I mean, that's a must, but I'll take it even a step further in that Please. is that it's also in tune with what the customer wants. Okay. And what I, like Chad, for example, he opened High Tide Lobster Bar. And I'm like, 
this guy's fucking crazy. Pardon yeah, me, French. Yeah, like, Who's going to open a lobster bar? Yeah. And guess what? He was in tune with it. He saw it. He got it. And it crushes it, right? And so I think Chad's probably similar to me. When we go into a neighborhood or a spot, we know what that neighborhood needs, what it wants, what we can offer different, what we can do better than competition, and, and who's going to support it. E- even more so than marketing, I think. So is that is that something that, you know, like it's just you shoot from the hip and you just as an individual happens to, from your experiences and the research you guys do, you know, you're you're able to just, you know, come up with that concept. Is that an individual thing or is there a lot of work that goes I into that? I think R&D is really important. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, under, like going out and trying things, traveling, sure. yeah. right? Uh, immersing yourself in different cultures, in different... Uh, cities, you know, I don't, I don't always just want to bring something in from somewhere else, but if you can capitalize on that, you can look at what, what is the need in Spokane? You can ask the questions, talk to your consumers and then go out and do the R and D and try the things. Um, and don't just like pop into one restaurant and be like, Oh yeah, I can nail this, but like spend the time, you know, tasting your team on it, tasting the city on it, failing over and over and over again. Uh, those are all parts of it. I mean, kind of like what you said, you know, this guy's crazy. I think it takes equal parts like experience and equal parts batshit crazy. I like that. I used to use the, 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 the saying of, um, I'm, you know, 20% research and development and 80%. Ah, oh, fuck it. Really? <laughs> it's a, the, the ratio is a little different now yeah, as yeah. I've gotten older and yeah. I've, and I've made some mistakes and I've failed in, in, in the way I see it, I failed up. Um, cause I've been able to pivot and recover and learn from my mistakes and not just bury my head in the sand. Um, I do a lot less reckless investing or reckless, uh, you know, ideas, right? It's, it's a little bit more calculated now, um, but there still has to be a level of risk. You can't be afraid to follow a dream or, or nail a new concept. So tell, tell me about some of those failures that you've had that have, you know, helped you pivot and move forward. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, financial is, is a difficult one. Um, my, my first restaurant, uh, that I, that I was a partner in was called Sea Rocket Bistro. And, um, we did really well, um, but not well enough for me to be paid well while working there. And then we sold. And then all of a sudden I had a bunch of money in my pocket and I'm like, all right, I'm going to double down. And I wasn't mature enough yet to double down. Uh, so I opened up a pizza restaurant and signed an agreement that I should have never signed. And then I opened up uh, a Mexican kitchen and bar in San Diego Ooh. outside of Petco park with, you know, a $15,000 a month, uh, more or not mortgage, lease. but lease, That's right? My pizza lease. place was 18,000 still, right? My lease ends, uh, in it's a three mortgage months. on an apartment. Complex. Are you still paying that? <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. It hurts. Uh, I mean, I don't pay all of it. I have partners, yeah. but like I'm done with them. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, Moving but forward. that's the biggest thing, right? Is like, is really paying attention and, and taking your time and thinking everything through. Not everything is going to be exactly the way, um, that you do it. And, and, and sometimes it's about challenging the people that you're going into business with, right? A lot of people look at, uh, you know, people who are investors may look at somebody and go, okay, great. This person has 
all the things that will make a great product, but has no idea about business whatsoever. And as somebody who is a people pleaser, I was nervous to say what I wanted and ask what ask for what I wanted or demand uh, what my value was because I might lose the opportunity, which sure. netted a much bigger failure down the road, right? Uh, and then I learned as I as I got older and done more deals that when I challenge a a businessman, they respected me. Absolutely, bringing it. To and the I thought it was the other way around. I was like, I'm I'm just a punk kid. That's you know what I mean. Like I'm a hassle to this person. They're never gonna they're never gonna give me the money that I want. They're not gonna trust me with it. But it was the complete opposite. So I signed contracts that I should never sign, and I went into business with people I should have never went into business with. And I closed a restaurant in San Diego called Comun, and it was a beautiful restaurant. We spent a million five opening it. Uh, I thought I was getting in bed with the right people. Um, but to what I was just saying, I didn't ask enough questions. I didn't pay attention. I, everything was perfect. Didn't read the fine print. No. What? Fine print. <laughs> I was like, where do I sign? <laughs> Sweet. Uh, and then when the restaurant ended up closing, which, uh, my partners decided to close right when I came back from being gone for seven weeks, filming top chef who was on the hook for all the food and the drink that wasn't paid. It was this guy who signed the personal guarantee because I didn't know better. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'll sign this. You know, we're, we're not going to fail. I'm high up on the horse. I was a partner in a restaurant with Brian Malarkey. I was uh, chef of the year by Eater, kind of a big award. Uh, the Seafood Maverick of San Diego. I just came off Top Chef. Like, I can't do anything wrong. I'm a white kid with a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant in Tijuana, Mexico, and the Mexicans love me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was crazy to me. I was like, I can't do anything wrong. Oh, no, I could. Yeah. I could do a lot wrong. Um, and so learning from those mistakes was, was really big. And even coming up here and, and learning from not giant mistakes, but just little things that I was more aware of. And um, when you go through those, you kind of become a little skeptical here and there. Um but I've, I, that's another lesson in don't close yourself off to an opportunity because you have fear from what happened before. Yeah. Just have, let's just educate yourself and know how to navigate through those little booby traps. Okay. So, and, and talking about navigating Matt. So when, uh, you're talking about shooting from the hip a little bit, Chad, and, 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 you know, there's a ton of analysis you can do, Matt. Right. But there's a certain level, I assume, where you start getting to this, you know, paralysis by analysis. So how much of when you're going into, say, because you guys are going to a new market, Boise, right now. Correct. And uh, you guys, you know, you've opened so many different concepts in restaurants and you've got it down to a science. But things change. How much analysis can you really do and what is that analysis versus just going in and saying, you know what, I believe in this and it's in, you know, I feel it in my gut. I'm going to do this. You know, is there, you, you probably can't give me a percentage, but what's that process look like? Uh, the easy answer is 50, 50. Okay. And what I mean by that is I know my numbers. Okay. I know the restaurant numbers. I know what labor is going to cost. I know what food's going to cost. I know what beverage is going to cost. I know what rent should cost. I know what utilities are going to cost. Right. And then I look at, uh, Spokane, for example, I, you can pick any corner you want. Tell me a concept that I could tell you pretty close what that place should do a month in sales uh, if it's run correctly. Okay. I, 
I bet you Chad could do, could have a pretty good guess, something similar. And then when you when you know your numbers, and you've done this long enough, you can do the math backwards and understand if it's a good move or not. Uh, we we are looking at going to Boise. We've signed a couple deals around down there, and um, it is a little bit of a leap of faith. The economy is is uh, as good as any economy I've seen, so it's a little different, but it's the same process. Is uh, we're buying the buildings we're looking at, so we know what our mortgage payment is. I know what it's going to cost to staff it. I know what the food cost is going to be. I know what the liquor cost is going to be. I, I one thing I think Chad can attest to is restaurant people love to help restaurant people. It's a it's a community tight knit community. We're, we're, we're rooting for everybody. So I just talked to a couple of guys in Boise who own restaurants and have restaurant groups and have worked in the industry and got a pretty good idea of what what Boise's about. And uh, I, I think I. If I throw a dart at a dartboard, I think I'd be pretty close to the bullseye based on what we're going to do and uh, what numbers will hit there. That's that's awesome. So you, one of the things that you mentioned is that you like to buy your properties, and I think that's something that's a common theme with you know everything you're doing right now. How important is that to you when you're opening a new restaurant to be able to buy the property versus lease? Now it's very important. To- when I was young and dumb and signing leases blindly and didn't care, <laughs> I didn't care at all. I was just, yeah. I didn't want to put the money into buying a building. I wanted to put the money into making the biggest badass nightclub you've ever seen in Spokane, right? Absolutely. Marquee. Um, but our rent was $16,000 a month in Spokane, which oh my God. if you know Spokane- I thought that was crazy right. at 15000 in San Diego. number. Yeah. Well- That's got to be a what, record for a bar 7, in 7,000 square foot, 6,000 square foot to Marquee. Marquee almost 9,000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Craft Pizza is eighteen hundred square foot in wow. a in a food court in a mall wow. next to uh, Panda right. and all those other places. Wow! And I think I I think I hung out in every square foot of that uh, yeah. the market. <laughs> so I remember. To, it. But to answer your question, owning the real estate for me is now a hedge, right? Sure. Um, real estate prices take COVID out of it. I guess I don't see going down very much, especially if you have a successful business in a good location. So even. Even if something weird happens and the restaurant doesn't make it, if I own the real estate, I have a tangible asset that I can um, sell and hopefully own the own the real estate going forward. Where you buy restaurant equipment, you're two hundred and fifty grand going in. The day you open, that stuff's worth thirty thousand bucks. Yeah, wow. you don't have an exit strategy. Wow. No, there wow. isn't. Yeah, yeah. No, if you own the real estate, there's an exit exit strategy. Yeah, correct. What are your so Chad? What are your thoughts on that? Because I know you've done some pretty cool lease, you know, leases mm-hmm. on some good buildings. You've partnered. Um, what are your, what's what are your thoughts going forward with that? And, someday I'll grow up. Someday you'll grow up. Now, uh, you know, I've I've leveraged um, relationships, relationships, and and the money that I've made from the businesses to help build more businesses and as i get to a point where you know capital is more readily available my my next game is to is to purchase real estate and i've i'm taking um some leadership uh, i'm being i'm given leadership by batten uh in that area and i've I've reached out to him and said you know listen this is i don't want to lease forever I want sure. to start owning owning buildings, and so any advice you have in that area, whether it's something that we can partner with down the road, or you can give me um, some insight on how I can get to there, right? And I'm not looking to own a whole building; I'm just looking to get pieces and then eventually it, get down the road. And it's funny too; uh, I've never thought about the similarities with Chad and I here, but when you're in something and you're great at something, you're focused on that, right? So Chad's completely focused on being the best chef he could possibly be. Absolutely. 
And he does a great job. And the best. And having a great customer experience as well, where I'm focused on the great customer experience and having good chefs on board. But we're so focused on the restaurant, it's hard to learn the real estate game or uh, understand it, right? So he's working with Bobby Brett and Chris Batten, and uh, they're going to take him a long ways in the real estate game, where your other guest, Jordan Tampion, I've partnered with him. And there's no way I could own the real estate or do what I'm doing absolutely without that partnership I have with Jordan Tampion because I'm so focused on the restaurant game. I don't get the real estate game. I haven't learned it. I haven't become an expert in it. And uh, that partnership has allowed me to dip my toes in the water there a little bit. So it sounds like, you know, a a common theme for the guests that are listening. If you're getting in the restaurant business, it sounds like you've got to have a skill of some sort, whether it's back of the house and, you know, making the best food you can possibly make and, and, or whether it's front of the house and creating the best experience. And, and, you know, it sounds like I know both of you guys have, you know, each of those aspects, but then being able to find, like you've talked about the right teams and partnering with people who can come in and, and really make those projects a little bit more, um, you know, financially, uh, stable or, 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 you know, hedged yeah, a I, little bit better. And I don't think, I think most people who are just starting into the restaurant game, um, whether they're a chef or a server or a bartender or somebody who is a home cook that, Jim, Joe, Sally, and Karen have told you a million times that you should open a restaurant. I don't, the part that I don't think a lot of people understand is the amount of work that gets put in. Absolutely. And you have to, you have to be somewhat of a masochist in a way, right? Like you have to love the hard work. I wake up at 3.30 every single morning. I go to bed 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. Some people would say that's not enough sleep. I wake up before my alarm clock every single day. Not in a panic, not worried that I'm not going to get my work done for the day. I'm just very, very driven. And you have to love to work. And this industry will eat you alive if you're not willing to do that. Now, you should work smart and not over hard. Of course. But there's going to be some years where you're going to have to go to bed after 20, everyone. 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but some people didn't. No. Yeah. And, some people saw And they're no longer and they're not here anymore. Or they won't be. Or here, they're in trouble. Fortunately, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's 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 difficult. You know, um, there's a lot of times where, I mean, how many times you've been kicked in the teeth and you're in this industry? Once a week. Yeah. And you got it. You got to love it, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like you have to be a boxer, right? Whether you throw a punch or not, <laughs> you got to be able to take them. Absolutely. Right. And um, yeah, it definitely takes a certain person. I don't think the restaurant industry is for everyone. It's not how many punches you can take. It's the how many how many punches or it's not how many punches you can throw. It's how many punches you can take and yep. get up. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's my my Rocky quote for the night. <laughs> so uh, let's change gears a little bit and talk. Uh, speaking of twenty twenty, let's talk about um, COVID. And you know, I mean, it's had a huge effect on Spokane and restaurants all across the country. But tell us a little bit um, about what you know what you're doing to uh deal with covid right now i know you guys have partnered up on um uh what's the the restaurant coalition you guys have partnered up on spokane hospitality coalition spokane hospitality coalition so tell yeah. me a little bit about that chad well so spoken hospitality coalition came about by business owners such as matt and i and mark Starr from david's and uh and jeremy Tangen, like coming together and and just asking questions like how are we going to survive this as a restaurant industry right and we understood that it wasn't 
the answers weren't going to get the questions weren't going to get answered by just us deliberating and and complaining and worrying we had to get some local city and government officials involved uh you know talking with bob lutz and talking with uh different members of the city and the pfd board and uh gsi um uh, spokane police department and trying to figure out like how do we where do we go from here we can't just close our doors. We can't just all not even go from here. But what is here? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, fair enough. We didn't even know what here was. Identify. Yeah. Step one. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think at that point, I mean, that was really early on. That was April. Yeah. When we met. Yeah. And I had I had just came back from getting insanely sick. Every time I was tested, negative. Really. I was, according to the clinic I went to. Uh, they did not have a COVID test yet. They had to contact UW to ask for instructions on how to swab and then send my results over to UW because that was the closest facility that was testing at the moment and then send it back. And when they sent it back, I was already on the mend, but yeah. it was the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Right. So and I'll be the first to admit I am a full grade Sally when I get sick. Right, like I never get sick, but when I do, it's like a seven forty seven crash. Lights out. Yeah, it's bad. There's everything. I'm the worst boyfriend, housemate, anything. I leave everything everywhere, and I am a crybaby. I can relate to that. So I came off of that, and I can't remember who reached out if it was you or Mark or Jeremy, but we showed up to Bloomsday's uh, headquarters, and we all sat like. This giant space. <laughs> it was yeah, strange. It really was. It was Social like we were distancing. at some like I don't know meeting of the of of the minds, and we were it about felt to like go something to war. Out of Braveheart, <laughs> yeah. like this ginormous room. Everyone's fifteen feet apart, and we're all just staring at each other. It was yeah, it and was meeting weird. people for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Really, yeah. It was just. It was really. It and everyone, everyone has to shout because we're in this huge room, right? So. Well, what happens if you do this? <laughs> it's like the clans all yeah, meeting together and, and, yeah. and coming together. And I made the mistake of speaking too much. So then there was a lot of questions. That's a constant oh. mistake for you. Jay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Matt, I can you relate can, to you that can, too. You can take it from here. Yeah, uh, yeah no. So, we, you know, I think what, what ended up happening from that is we had a meeting shortly after. Um, and it was uh, Matt, Mark, and I. And we talked about... Um, how we, what we need to do from here and how we could, you know, pivot in this, in this time. I know that word has been overused, but it, it's the easiest word to explain what we did. Um, and how do we advocate for our industry? Um, Matt mentioned this a couple times earlier is restaurant people look out for each other and no longer was it rivalries, uh, that were unhealthy. It was, all of us walking to the center of the street and shaking hands with the competition and saying, let's do this together. Let's find a solution. Um, we're going to, obviously we're shut down. We, we have to find a way to s still serve our community, um, continue to support our industry and, uh, and survive and make money. Absolutely. Right. So not only are we looking out for our neighbor, but we also have to 
look out for ourselves. Um, and so we, you know, you got Brian um, from Cracking Creative involved um, and he ran the marketing uh, side of things. And Matt and I did some outreach, um, trying to understand PPP, trying to understand EIDL, all these different grants, four or five different grants. Yeah. How to fill them out. I know I having conversations with you at six o'clock in the morning, like, dude, I don't like, this isn't what I do. <laughs> right. Like I ended up hiring an assistant just, just to handle PPP. the paperwork. Wow. Because I just looked at it, went cross-eyed immediately. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where it got started. And we started holding meetings weekly on Fridays at eight o'clock in the morning at brick West. And, uh, Brian, quickly made a website for us, uh, say509.com. And we started outreaching to uh, different restaurant owners, bar owners, hotels, um, and and saying like, hey, we're in this together. Let's figure it out. Um, there's a way to survive this. We're not going to get completely shut down, but we have to do it very safe. Um, because the last thing that we want, and it was there was, there was fear involved, right, of Ellen I is handing out fines. Who's policing this? I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get sued. Absolutely not. Yeah. For getting somebody sick, right? And those were all the real questions. Yeah. And then it just started growing. So speaking of, you know, getting sued and, and fines and that type of stuff, Matt, there's so many uh, crazy stories you're hearing in that, you know, everything's so sensationalized in the news right now. And you've got bar owners and restaurant owners that are opening up and, you know, speakeasy style stuff going on right now. What, what was the difference, you know, between what the group decided to do and how you guys decided to operate versus some of these, I mean, maybe call them rogue ventures that are out there opening up and doing their thing. What's, what's kind of your thought on that? Uh, first of all, there are no rogue ventures. If someone decides to open up and that's what's best for them, Do I it. support them and I, and I wish them nothing but luck. Agreed. As long as, long as they're being safe and um, I didn't mean that with a negative connotation. No, I, I just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poo poo anybody that decides it's right for them and their business to open. Good for them, and and I wish them nothing but success. Uh, but our group took a little different stance on that, where um, the stance we took is that COVID is a thing. We want to play by the rules because we don't want to lose our liquor licenses and losing your liquor license is a real threat by that. So we just want to educate the public that if you come to our establishments, we're going to play by the rules, whatever our lovely Governor Jainsley says the rules are, we're going to be safe. We're going to uh, uh, still give a great experience, still give great food, still give great drink, but um, we're going to play by the rules and uh, we're going to promote ourselves and push ourselves, but whatever they tell us we have to do. We're going to do it. And majority of people respect that. Absolutely. Right. That, yeah. that you have their, their best interests in your mind and your, your team's best interests in your mind. Right. We're just providing a healthy environment. I think you're spot on. Uh, if a business feels that they need to do what they need to do to survive, I don't have anything bad to say about that. Right. Would I do things differently? Absolutely. But I don't pay their bills. Sure. And, and I also believe that people have a choice, right? If a place is they full, should. If, if place is fully open, still America, I can walk in or I can not walk in. Yeah. Um, and our choice of SHC is to follow the rules that have been given to us. And um, 
try to do the best business we can under the current guidelines. Speaking of the rules, and I don't know how much you guys want to go into I'll interrupt you one second, Bruce. The other thing that frustrates me about this, though, is that the restaurants are getting picked on a little bit. Absolutely. A lot bit. Yes. (laughs) We're the only ones that are truly shut down. Even gyms got to open today with inside exercising under some uh, guidelines. The thing about restaurants is, and I think Chad would agree with me, that we are the rule followers. Absolutely. We're, we're the ones that follow the rules. And and I got this off a podcast from Joe Rogan. I'm not trying to rip it off as my own, but- um, Now you got his mic? I got his, his mic ideas? and his ideas. His <laughs> but there, there was two guys from LA who have big businesses down there, and they kept stressing the fact that they are the rule followers. When the health board walks in and says, I don't like that, we change it instantly. Or you go out of business. Or, or you, you get go out of business. We, yeah. Everything we do is clean and sanitary and safe. And if it's supposed to be cold, it's colder than that. If it's supposed to be hot, it's warmer than that. And we follow all the rules and we do everything necessary to run a safe business and provide a safe experience for our customers. And uh, now we're being told that people can't dine indoors here. And so now what do they do? They're going to house parties. They're going to basements. They're going to private parties where there are no rules. There are no regulations. And the numbers keep going up. And the numbers keep going up. Our restaurants are all shut down. But guess what is wide open? Walmart. Costco. Home Depot. Target. Yeah. I mean, just my neighbor's house. Lines and lines of people way over. Or the outdoor spaces that are indoors, but outdoors, which I think that's the definition of a building. That's an outdoor. I will fully own this. Right. I will fully own this. We have a tent at Brick West that is humongous. I love it. It's big. It, It meets all guidelines and regulations. In my opinion, there is zero difference from having a beer in my tent from having a beer inside of my establishment. 100%. That tent cost me $9,500 a month. What about what about uh, the concept of, of wearing a mask into the restaurant and then taking it off while dining? I mean, obviously, you can't eat food with a mask on. I mean, that's common sense. But but really, to be in a restaurant where I get up to use the restroom or, I you know, as I'm walking in having a mask on, it, it, does it... Am I wrong to say that some of these rules seem like they're just not really well thought out? I'm not a scientist. I don't think you're a scientist. No. Uh, I feel But like I'm using common sense. I think, I think the rules That's, are reactive. The, the Thank rules you. are totally reactive. And, and, and they need a scapegoat. And we're it. Yes. We're it. Yeah. But if you, walk, if you follow the rules that were in place before we got shut down, if you walk into a place you have a mask on, when you sit down with your group, you take your mask off. Absolutely. That table is six feet away from the next table. Okay. Right? Six feet distance and everywhere you go. If you get up to go to the bathroom, you put your mask back on. When you come back down and sit down, you take your mask back off, which to me is no different than anywhere else in the world. They're doing it in Texas. They're doing it in Arizona. Florida. Florida. Idaho. Yeah. So that's the thing that's mind blowing is we've got right across a, the border. There's an imaginary line yeah. 40 miles east of here. <laughs> 40? 30. <laughs> right? Like we could get there in 10 Tens minutes from here. how fast right? we drive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I drive a lot faster than most people, but I'll admit that. I've you seen got a the fast, You got a fast <laughs> car. Uh, yeah. Something needs to get my heart going. It's been cold this last couple of years nice. or this last year. So um, no, that's, that's, that's exactly it. It's I hate to be the person who's like, oh, it's not fair, but it's not fair, right? And you know what? I think Matt and I will figure it out, 
right? We have. We yeah. we, we got through this year. Um, it, it's not came easy. There's been a lot of sleepless nights. There's been a lot of worry. There's been a, a lot more hard work with a lot less reward. And a lot less employees. Yes. But let's be honest. How much better do you run your businesses now than you did before? Way more efficiently. I'm a better business person because of this. However, I feel bad for the people we've had to lay off who yeah, are not absolutely. working because we're not as busy. 100%. Absolutely. And these are the people that our governor is, you know, supposedly well, so concerned for. Well, these are the people for. that helped us build our businesses. Absolutely. Yes. yes. It was absolutely. on their backs, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we all work as hard as they do, but... You wouldn't, it wouldn't work without yeah, them. Yeah, no. You couldn't do it. Absolutely not. If there's something you could say to, you know... Uh, Mr. Inslee, because I know he's Governor Inslee, because I know he's probably watching the podcast right now. He's a he tunes in every he's a big every fan. week. Big fan, yeah. What, what would you tell him, Chad? For, for me, yeah. it's trust us as much as you're trusting the big corporations. We're paying taxes just as much. We have to follow rigid guidelines. We did before COVID even came around. Now we're following them even more. How many pairs of gloves or boxes of gloves do you go through now, right? I've probably used more gloves in 2020 than I used in 2019, 2018, and 2017, right? And I am a rule follower. Always, I don't break the rules. You could contact the health department right now. Anybody, for that matter, could contact the health department right now and ask them my record at, at all of my restaurants. If anything falls below a 99, it doesn't, it doesn't exist, we fix all of our problems immediately. And in fact, I'm asking questions before the health department even gets there because I want to, I pride myself in having one of the cleanest kitchens. Notice not one of my kitchens is behind a door, behind a wall. I want people to see exactly what's going on. If I'm not afraid to show the dirtiest part of my kitchen, which is my dish pit typically, then I'm already taking care of all the responsibilities that I have. And if it comes down to that he doesn't think that we're policing people properly, once again, step into a Walmart. I was, yes. at, I was at Target today, and there was nobody doing a clicker count like we had at my restaurants to make sure we had the proper capacity. No sign-in with a temperature check? No sign-in with a temperature check. There was no one. There was people walking around, no masks on. Nobody enforcing the mask rule. There, I could go down the laundry list of all the things that, and I'm not picking on Target, I love Target. I shop there all the time, but Target, Costco, Walmart, gyms, everybody else is allowed to open in some capacity with no real enforcement, no real um, check on them. Whereas we have Liquor Board, who's been great. I'm not picking on them. Labor and Industries, they seem okay. Uh, police, I mean, there's every, there's all these people that are enforcing restaurants. And you already had that prior to COVID. Oh yeah, it was already there. Just threw gas on the fire, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you think that there's any sort of ulterior motive to this? I mean, do you feel like there's any sort of ulterior motive going on with you know regard to the pressure you guys are feeling as restaurants? I, I'm not smart enough to answer that question. I'm not dialed into the right circles, but it sure feels like we're a scapegoat. It feels like it. Yeah. It sure feels like they they have to do something. They have to. They have to blame somebody. Absolutely. They have to hang their hat on something they did to stop COVID, and, and it feels like we're the people that are getting the brunt of that. The easiest numbers target. going up though. Numbers is, going up. Yeah. Restaurants are not doing indoor seating. Actually, 
how many was it 2500 plus restaurants in the state of washington have closed permanently since covid so we've had 2500 less restaurants and the numbers keep climbing i mean to your point but you could look at my my grades yeah. And there's no data. It was a there's no data to have in class. <laughs> there's no data. There's no science that's ever been proven or shown that restaurants are the cause. Yeah. There's been a lot of contrary data from the Washington Hospitality Association, who's had our back from day one on this, uh, showing that restaurants are, are less than 1% of the spread. So I, it feels like we're the scapegoats. It feels like we're being picked on. It feels like we're the, the easy target here. So how big of a factor in, you know, your decision to start looking at other markets like Boise? I know your heart's in Spokane, but how big of a factor is COVID and some of the rules and regulations that you guys are dealing with to start looking at other markets? I mean, the, 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 what I'm trying to get to is, is this something that is going to, you know, really um, cause uh, restaurateurs like you guys to not open up new businesses here and to really uh to, to slow down the spread of what this whole podcast no, is about no what what it's gonna do unfortunately is um provide opportunities for guys like chad and myself and other restaurant groups who have the the resources and the wherewithal to get through this when uh the mom and pop restaurants can't make it Absolutely. Who, who we're trying to pull for we're trying to root for we want them to but they're not going to make it, and there's going to be there's going to be more opportunity in Spokane to um, to provide some good dining and eating hospitality places for them. How's that going to play out? Are we going to see because you know in the last five years, last ten years, we've seen a lot of wonderful new restaurants come into play. I mean, restaurants are a really integral part of uh, the community, and as far as you know, a neighborhood and development goes, one of the first things that you need in a place to start see some you know gentrification and start to see some you know increases in rents well, it's and, part and of our reverse. entertainment absolutely right? like at the end of the day would you like the pfd board right i don't know if anybody is familiar with that but pfd they, board what is that so they manage Public facilities district sure okay they manage um the convention center the arena the podium that they're building right now which is a sports complex um they the the opera house all those different like big venues that bring in Hamilton that bring in, you know, the, the concerts the yeah, all the yeah. concerts, all those things Absolutely. that bring all of the money to Into Spokane and support all of the businesses. Right. So the cooler projects that we have in our core, right. Our city and even the surrounding areas, the cooler those things are the better entertainment we get, the bigger concerts we get. Right. And so Restaurants are a very big restaurants, bars, hotels are a very big part of it. Very, very big part of it. Um, and we can't really grow with without those. Um, and there are things that have been staples here for a really long time that are going away that are really sad. Um, but at the same time, I, I think it, it's breathing some new opportunity. There's a positive with everything. Um, it just sucks. You know, I, I don't think there's anything. And, and I don't think you're, I think you were looking at Boise far before COVID came along. Oh, this was absolutely, the, this was the little nudge I needed to, to yeah. finally do it. Yeah. And Boise yeah. has been, you know, flexing for a while for a sure. long time. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, so, but Boise's kind of Spokane's little brother with less restrictions, yeah. less red, less red tape. Yeah. yeah. Little brother. Yeah. 
Heck yeah, little brother. Yeah, nice. Little brother's nice. always cooler represent. too. Represent. You know what I mean? Like they're it's I little know. brother's cooler. I don't know. I'm a little the, bit I'm more style, man. right? They've they've watched. They've paid attention. They've been yeah, like, oh, they had someone pay the way. A touch different. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little bit but easier. But we have we have an incredible gem. I mean, like I was just on a on a Zoom call today with um, let's see who, who was on the call. It was um, Kate Hudson from Visit Spokane. Um, Jim, uh, Van Loben sells from Arborcrest and Mount Spokane. Um, and they were prepping us for a conversation that we're going to have with Microsoft. Tell me about it. I don't know what's happening out of it. Cause I don't pay attention enough, but we're going to be speaking to a thousand plus Microsoft employees and execs about why Spokane is so for lack of better terms, badass and perfect, and they and it is, it yeah, is. dude, Your nation the best. perfect, dude. Twenty years ago, right? I couldn't get out of this city fast enough. I remember that, right? And it, what year did you graduate from Gonzaga? Gonzaga, two thousand eleven. Okay, so I'm that much older than you, but I remember Ray, my old partner, and I, Fast Eddie's, and I. We would joke how Gonzaga kids would come to Fast Eddie's, they would graduate, and then they were gone. See yeah. you later. Sayonara. Yeah. And Not the case. No. We, no. We, a few of us, Chad, myself, a few other restaurant guys, we, we've done a, we've tried to, like he said, go to other communities, other areas and, and bring their concept, their ideas into Spokane. And they've worked. Yeah. Spokane's embraced it. And now when people graduate from Gonzaga or Eastern or Whitworth, they think twice about leaving. Because there's a scene here. There's something to do. There's something fun to, fun to go to. They can try a, uh, great lobster roll which you could never get in spokane before no, right they can no. they can go to one of my pubs and get siamese street noodles which was never available in spokane mm. before so something as simple as that will we'll feast world kitchen so How cool freaking rad is that why didn't we think of that i don't know so cool it's really irritated yeah, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so those, those are the terrain guys right Yes. Yeah. They come up in every podcast. We got to get them on here. Dude, they are Daisy. incredible. So that good. was who else was on there? Ginger. You got to get them. Ginger yeah. and Ginger uh, was on there, yeah. and uh, and Luke Luke Baumgartner. Yep. Super incredible. And the events that we have here, right? We in the last couple of years, we have a food, uh, food and wine uh, style of a festival. You know, we've got world class resort just across the way. Um, we have so much outdoor activity here. Spokane is truly a gem and not so, just for the people who live here it's funny so pick bloomsday pick hoop fest pick the event right oh yeah everybody used to come home for those events yeah now a lot of those people are calling this home they don't have to leave they're yeah. already here and people are still coming from all around and they're still hoop coming fest, from all around people yeah. come from everywhere for sure so matt what do you see for let's talk about the future of spokane what do you see in the next five years you know in spokane taking into account the economy taking into account all the development that's coming in right now what what what's it going to be like in five years from now i mean i know you don't have a crystal ball but i'm very bullish on spokane i, I think, love it i think that um i think you're gonna see a lot of people from seattle in the west side of the state, wanting to get out of the big city, wanting to get away from the restrictions, the COVID, uh, all that kind of stuff. I think you can see a lot of people from Portland. I have friends from California who wanted to move to Phoenix, too expensive, came up to Coeur d'Alene, too expensive, and they're moving into Spokane because it's affordable. It's Absolutely. Re it's relatable. It's yeah. comfortable. You can get a quarter of an acre in Spokane for a very affordable price, and you can, you can have... 
your three kids, your two dogs, your uh, your ATVs, your snowmobiles, whatever it is you're into, you can afford to do that here. And I think I think that's a quality of life that doesn't exist very many doesn't places. exist in very many other places. Um, yeah, and you, yeah, and it's cool. It's cool. It is cool. If you would have asked me, even a year ago, that I would be able to hire three of some of the most talented chefs out of California to move here and help me with my projects. I would tell you you're crazy. What do you pay them? Too much. No, just kidding. Enough. Not enough. Not enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, between, between, and Wendy's not from California, but between Wendy, Hannes Coven, chef Gina and chef, uh, Xavier, 210,000 a year. Wow. And and that's and, and we need and more chefs like that. they can afford to live comfortably here on that. Exactly. Very. Yes. So what what new concepts? Because I know what those guys were making down in San Diego. Yeah, in about Angeles. ten thousand dollars or more, and spending fifty thousand more a year. <laughs> that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, because yeah. they're spending so much more. So Chad, what concepts do you think we need to see in Spokane? Like, what does Spokane need from a concept? We're not going to get your secrets. <laughs> I would say more, more ethnic. Hey, Dave, concepts. cut the mics. We'll uh, more ethnic, ethnic concepts. concepts. Okay. Yeah, and, and more regional concepts. Okay. Right. So you know, Omonomiyaki. How rad would that be? Right. Uh, what are you? What, what what's is the that? dumpling bar in Onomaki. Seattle that crushes it? Oh, uh, DTF Din Tai Fun. Din Tai Fun. Yeah. That, yeah. A dumpling house. Oh god. Ra- better ramen. And I know, was it Little Noodle? Little Noodle. I haven't tried them yet. They're great. King of Ramen. They do a good job. Yeah. But yeah, but just you know, I I have the spot, a, I have spot a that Chad and I were looking at downtown, and I wanted nothing to do with owning the restaurant. Like I was going to be a big real estate guy, right? And Chad walked in and he goes, "I see an oyster bar here," and I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I'm in! No, 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 I'm in! I'm in!" <laughs> I love I, oysters. We need an oyster yeah, but, bar. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. someday. Pardon my French. We'll get back there. Yeah, but you know, I think here's the thing about Spokane: <laughs> the buildings here are so rad. They are. They're they so red. Because you talk about Boise, they tear them Brick. down. Yeah. Beams. Yeah. Wood. Catacombs. Yeah. We'll, we'll take you downstairs. Yeah. We'll take you downstairs when we get done with this. You're right. And, and Boise, they do tear them down. Yeah. And nope. I'm not going to debate whether that's Don't good go or bad, but they, they literally level everything and build up brand new. Yeah. And it's cool. But to, I mean, God, just, you know, this block alone, which is kind of untouched you got a lot of history and you got that over on the west side that you guys have been able to do some stuff with i mean it's there's a lot of pockets in Spokane i'll tell you what i cool. what i want to see yeah i want to see more micro concepts okay right agreed the jewish deli smaller smaller like the legit uh, philly cheesesteak joint yeah right like the legit one not this like stop with the fancy crap so how do you how do you get that? How do you get? Because I'm assuming you know as a stop chef, trying to please everyone. Okay, but as enough a chef, with the Chinese restaurants with spaghetti and French fries. Okay, but how how do you bring that authentic? Uh, two you things. Know, two things. That authentic. Uh, you need to concept. go smaller. Smaller. Small concept. Small rent. Yeah. A niche, and then the tricky part, and especially with COVID, is you need urban density. You need people living around downtown that will walk that will support that sure. work and, and that's the tricky part of this whole deal ever most chefs and restaurateurs feel like they have to have a giant establishment absolutely low overhead marquee high profit well i can Earn tell you from a real estate yeah. standpoint the smaller you know if i were open a restaurant i would want a thousand square feet maybe or less right yeah smart yeah yeah, yeah exactly high right. tide lobster bar first one 
480 square foot. Zona Blanca, 620 and, square and how, foot. And what did you guys do day one? Oh, man. 12,000? No, 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 no. We did, we did 12 grand in our first week, and we were only open three days. Yeah. Pretty close. It was, it was, it was bananas, right? And it was so amazing how pissed at people people were at me for selling out <laughs> and i was like i can show you my refrigeration oh yeah it's right behind me <laughs> like literally behind me There's i was just pissed because no you were smarter than me but i wasn't pissed because you sold out <laughs> no. so so talk to me about so let's let's talk about you know you uh, sell goes out both three ways. days what about uh you know you look at places like chick-fil-a something as simple as a chicken sandwich it's you know what's what about this stuff you know like what what are your thoughts on uh i drive by that place Every day, and there's still we destroy a Chick-fil-A. forty-five minute. Before we destroy them, yeah, I wanted to be on the record that they're actually locally owned. It's a franchise, absolutely. That's the mm-hmm. Spokane people locally owned. So, and they have to work there. They have to manage yes. and operate the business. Now we can destroy that. Yeah. Okay. Well, but here's the thing: they market really, really well. And they for, and they, for and what they do, they do a good job. How long they took to build? There was Chick-fil-A ads in Spokane for seven to ten years before they opened. Really? Oh, yeah. They were all over TV. Talk about building buzz. That's a long-term game. Dave & Buster's advertised in Spokane for about ten years. And they decided not to open here. You will never see a Dave & Buster's ad on TV anymore. I I mean, that's marketing, right? It's all marketing. Yeah, totally. It's a common brand that people have tried other places. Convenience thing. Fast food corporations, they know about Spokane. Spokane was a fast food nation for so long. Sure. Oh, yeah. It was the only long-standing restaurants. I mean, look at Jack in the Box. They killed people in the early 90s in Spokane, and they stuck around. They killed people? They yeah, had a, E. coli breakout. food issue. Oh, that's right. That's right. Massive. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> a so. massive one. And I believe it was the Valley location. Uh, but no, here, here's the thing. It's so convenient, right? We're, we are a, we're a family town, though, right? Like, you have working class individuals who have families at a very young age, and it is affordable convenience. You can't, I mean, here's the thing. I'm not going to knock a big, uh, uh, a business like that. I mean, let's. We all know I love Zips. Anybody who's yeah. ever heard me talk Zips about anything, amazing. I absolutely love Zips. On the record, Chad White wants to do a lobster burger at Zips. Get at me. Zips, <laughs> right? let's set it up. No, I'm serious. You saw it here on Catalyst Podcast. I've been to Shake Shack. I've been to In-N-Out Burger. I've been all over the place. The double bacon cheeseburger at Zips is the best burger in the country. Fight me. I'll give you that. I can't throw a punch, but I could take We're like supposed 12. to inside the elbow. Elbow. <laughs> right. Well, I'll wash my hands elbow. afterwards. Felt the right. animal. So, no. I just feel like it's interesting that you people get so angry at businesses that have done an incredible job building themselves. All these businesses started as a small project at some yeah, point. Yeah, Chick-fil-A at one time was one joint. Yeah, you yeah. didn't know about Chick-fil-A 15 years ago. Yeah. Did you not? Awesome. Did you? You didn't. I didn't know about it 15 years ago until I started traveling. And, it's because I was and 15 I, and, years old. And I am I am 
so in love with our city and so in love with our local concepts. I, I think most people would tell you that I care as much about other people's restaurants as I do about my own. I'm constantly sharing other people's content. I'm spending my money in their restaurants. Yes, I know I buy Zips, but Zips is also a locally owned restaurant. But here's the thing. Let me interrupt you. Zips has a niche, right? 100%. And you're going to spend five bucks and get a fantastic burger, right? A sure. good a good burger. Yes. A good only five bucks at Zips on a burger. They're they're a high class burger. If you go to Chick Fil A, you're going to spend six bucks and get a really good chicken sandwich. Mm -hmm. If I go to one of your joints and I get a fucking amazing chicken sandwich, I'm going to spend more than that. Correct? Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. So I'm not picking on Chick Fil A. If you want a five to six dollar chicken sandwich experience, Chick Fil A is where you're going to go. Yeah. That, that's and they spent decades leveraging and building relationships with lard vendors purchasing their own farmland and raising product at a lower cost level so they could serve yeah. a $6 chicken sandwich. Now, you can't serve a $6 chicken sandwich with, with in Spokane with that if being, you're a small concept. Correct. With that being said, though, you go to any one of my establishments, my chicken Nashville hot chicken sandwich is going to be 12 bucks or more, mm -hmm. but I guarantee you it kicks the shit out of a Chick-fil-A. Because the bun sandwich. costs more than the entire sandwich at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but, you know, we're talking about totally different things here because, you know, Chick-fil-A is a convenience thing. But I'm talking about the idea of with COVID right now, you know, rest, fast food restaurants are loving this. They are absolutely loving this because they are not getting picked on like you guys. I'm going to ask no, no, they are question not getting that you hammered. haven't asked. Please, what's the question? What is the formula yeah. for a current non-fast food restaurant to survive during COVID. And that's where, I, that's where I was going. That's exactly where I was going. Thanks, what do you Dad. think the, what do you think the formula is? I don't think there's one. I think there's multiple, but what do you think the main one is? The formula for a current non-fast food restaurant to survive during COVID. PPP, EIDL, shut my doors. No, I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's being creative. It's take-home family meals. It's convenience for people. That's what I was getting to. It's it's providing an experience for them at home that they're not going to get without you. What yeah. I mean by that is we, we sold, for Thanksgiving, we sold turkey, smoked turkey meals. I'm, I'm, I, Chad probably did something similar, right? And uh, they were good. People loved it. They were better than anything you would ever cook at your own house. I cooked a pretty good prime rib. We'll debate it. But my, my point is, is, that, is that you have to pivot and you have to provide a, a, a meal to somebody that they can pick up or you'll deliver to their house that is better than something they can do at their own house and and the convenience in itself i mean to be yeah, i mean like i said 100%. i'm joking i cooked a great prime rib but i also my daughter went up and climbed up the oven and busted that thing i found out two days before that i had to cook it i had to go to costco i had to buy a traeger i spent a thousand dollars you know and and bruce just and it was a pain in the ass i should have called you guys and got it done and maybe you're the one exception but no i'm not 99 out of 100 people that go to costco buy a rack of ribs buy a traeger buy traeger's pellets all in one day hook it up and then cook it their ribs are going to be half as good if you went to tt's and spent less money overall and got fantastic ribs to take home and, and, and make for yourself. I wouldn't compete ribs with TTs. There's well, no way. Because that's my favorite a level of joint. In everybody place. learned, not everybody, but a lot of people learned how to bake bread during COVID. They learned how to sure. smoke a brisket during sure. COVID, smoke ribs, and so on and so forth. But you're not going to make ribs every single day. 
at some point there's the convenience of the fact that you don't have to cook and clean anymore. Absolutely. Right? And so for us, just like what you said, it was so important that every single one of my restaurants had a family meal pack that was easy for people to purchase, whether it was online ordering, a call in, minimizing the obstacles for them to spend money. Absolutely. Right. And being the loudest person in the room. You don't have to provide the best deal. You've said a lot of smart things, but that combo is the smartest thing you've ever said. Mm. Ease and loudness. Yep. How to make it easy and how to scream out loud how easy it is to do so. I love it. That's it. That comes down to convenience because I get to hear it. I don't have to seek it out. Tomorrow I'll have a shirt that says easy. I get to hear it and I don't have to seek it out and it's easy to get to. I'm a large. (laughs) Heard. I like that. That's great. So- you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's good stuff. What, um, what do you guys see, you know, future of Spokane, you know, we've got, we've got time for about one more question here. Future of Spokane. We've talked about concepts. We've talked about a little bit, a little bit about real estate. What do you guys see as far as, uh, you know, people coming into town as far as new competition? You've talked about Microsoft a little bit. I mean, you've, you, you're looking at Boise a little bit. Do you see more chefs coming to Spokane. We've talked about people I moving so. here. Me too. Yeah. yeah. You hope so. But do you see them coming? We're Are they coming you, now? New York, San Francisco, yeah. Chicago. Come here. Austin, Spokane. San Diego, Portland, Please. Seattle. Bring it. Yeah. You're not worried about the competition. No, no, you want to no, see it. It no, makes con- it builds us up. All, yeah. All float all boats float. What? Rising, Rising tides. tides. Rise all boats. Rising tides lift all boats something like that it's so between the three of us and the whiskey it will create a demand absolutely i look at the guys wooden city fun that is one of my favorite restaurants favorite restaurants right now i got a best addition to the spokane restaurant scene since since you came since you came honestly since you came well thank you no since you agreed that's the best i think i think peter over at um uh gander and ryegrass is doing an incredible job I need to check used, that out. Have used it. used sure. to be here, worked for Jeremy back in the day, took over Jeremy's spot. Absolutely crushing. I think Austin Conklin's doing a great job at IBK. But dude, Wooden City, their chefs, their concept. No, no. It's we're, so we're, good. Where you're going from, from the second you walk in the door to you're seated, to you get a cocktail, to you get your food, to when you leave, to when you check out, to when you exit, nails it. All I hope is nails that it, it inspires. Yeah. Because it's inspired me. Right, so I'm gonna say that first before I piss a lot of people off. I hope it inspires existing restaurants in this city to step up their game. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, to be frank, what they're doing at Wooden City is what I envisioned you and I doing at the spot we talked about. Well, all different concept, but I mean, it's coming. They kill it though. Uh, Wooden City, man. I mean, I'll put my two mm-hmm. cents in as the non-restaurateur here. We had a standing Wednesday night reservation at Wooden City for about three or four months before COVID and uh, me and a group of guys that I get together with. And I'll tell you the best thing about Wooden City is the staff. The staff there is so on point. I heard a rumor that they like brought the staff in from, they did bring the staff in. The staff followed them from uh, Tacoma, 
from Portland. Uh, Seattle. Uh, Seattle. Yeah. No, they're not in Seattle. I don't think. Are they no, but there's they hired people from Seattle. From Seattle, well. but yes. So yeah. so some of the gals though, they're they you know they fall in there, and we've got a standing reservation. We had an event we were trying to do, and with COVID, it's so hard to do it. We went in. We we're having dinner, and a complainant. They're like. Just have us. We'll, we'll, we'll come to your place. They came. They brought all the food. They catered it in. They brought three waitresses that killed it. We've done three events. Wow. They bring the waitresses in. They You feel like you're in Wooden City because the staff there is so bought in. And they, they follow those people all over the world. They'll go to Beijing next if they have to. It's amazing. That's, yeah. that's my in, two cents. Incredible culture, incredible leadership, incredible quality, and consistency. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, we're getting pretty close here. Is there anything you guys want to leave us with? I want to go for another hour, Bruce. Let's keep yeah, going. We can keep yeah. going. Well, Bruce, how many we more got questions plenty, you got? We got plenty of whiskey here. Dude, I'm telling you that that one, I I did a podcast like seven months ago where it went till four in the morning. I'm ready to four go. Four in the morning. You got another one of those? Four in the morning. Bruce, I'm, I'm also. I did not bring another one. The next time I do this, I want somebody less qualified than me instead of more qualified than me. I, f- I feel. You're ridiculous. I feel uh, less of a man sitting next to Chad. Did you just touch your chest because I had the biggest man? I gave you you the choice. I gave you the choice of like whoever you wanted to bring, right? Yeah, I did. I chose Chad. Oh, I'm glad you you. did. I did. I'm I'm honored. You did. I'm honored. My choices were Ronald McDonald and Chick fil A. Oh, not Santa Claus? It's all right. All right, probably, guys. Probably not what Bruce was looking for for an ending. Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. Bruce, that wraps thank you it so up. much. Yeah. Man. Such a great thank you for coming out. Thanks, Bruce. My 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 girlfriend will appreciate that this ended as early as it did. This is just a podcast. We still have to do outtakes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Ooh. All right. That's the show. Thanks, guys. Catalyst podcast number six. We'll see you guys next week on the next show. Cheers.